Tonight's episode is brought to you by Bendetti Optics, SurvivalFeeling.com, Sherpa.com, and you, our listeners. And Continental Congress is like, yo, Danny, Dick, go sit in the corner. You can't buy, you can't legitimately buy land from people we've already stolen it from. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell stories of adventure in the great outdoors, more in travel, or in self-discovery, like we're storytellers here. That's what this podcast is all about, telling stories, and we're still looking for enough stories to start filling up episodes from you, listener-submitted stories, and if you have a great story that, I mean... Listen to the back catalog of what we've got going on here. As you go back and listen through it, there's like a potpourri of stories. We have stories of every shape and size. Stories from just travel stories to stories of adventure out there and overnight hikes and paddle trips. Like I've got, I'm telling all my stories and the well is getting a little bit depleted, guys. So... I've been having some trouble coming up with some story ideas, some things to talk about. So if you guys have stories, please submit them to mywaywardstory at gmail.com or head over to the website, waywardstories.com, and you can contact us through the contact form there. And while you're there, check out our Instagram feed. You can hook up with us on Facebook. Go like the Facebook page, go join the Facebook page and share stories with your fellow listeners there. I would love to get this online community up and hustling and bustling, as they say. Um, like little side note, you can't actually go to the website now. Um, if you've tried to access it in the last probably four to five days, apparently it's been down. I've been kind of busy, buying a lot of stuff going on. And as I check the stats at the end of every day, I check the stats, I check the YouTube views, I check the podcast downloads, etc., to see how things are going throughout the day or if anything's going on I should know about. I started to notice like for probably four or five days straight, I had zero views on the website. That's unheard of. We get views every single day. People in there reading on the blogs, you know, checking out the photo galleries, whatever. And it dawned on me like yesterday, like this is how busy I've been. It didn't even tick off in my brain for the first couple of days. And then yesterday I was like, I think there's a pattern here. I hope the website's not down. So I try to go to the website. Website's down. I was like, crap. So today, like that's that ties into the rest of the story about today as well. Today could be a little bit of a rambler um, because I had the general idea for this for the last week or so, but I hadn't really put it together in my brain thematically until literally like 20 minutes ago and realized the angle I want to approach tonight's story from. So it's going to be a little bit of a rambler. It's more of just a story to be told. But part of that is because like I fought with the website and calling Bluehost and um, WordPress, all these different places. And that took a whole big mess for me to deal with today to finally get it back up and running, which we did kind of jumped shark there and got away from the point. Website is back up and running. So you can go over there and check everything out. But today's episode might ramble a bit. I have my general outline before me here. Um, and we're going to talk about really some, I don't know, we're going to talk about, we're going to have stories in tonight's episode, but there's also just thematically some stuff here. I believe we're going to title it When Life Hands You Lemons. 
um, based off of an experience, not really experience, but I thought I had when I was in California working for my job. And that's kind of what tonight's whole episode is going to be about. What I had wanted to talk about originally, okay, we'll just kind of get started here. There's not a lot of housekeeping to do tonight, but what I generally had in mind was I was going to talk about this last work trip that I had to take because it was like a whole dang thing. And there was some interesting stuff that happened out there and some things I came across that are generally travel related and out there exploring related. But, you know, mostly all I did was work. We've been getting work to the bone lately and I haven't had a lot of opportunities. Part of the reason the well is running dry. I have become depleted of stories to tell is the way work has been for the last nine, 10 months or so since I went exclusively travel. It's crazy. You go out and you leave for two weeks at a time, three weeks at a time. And you're like, this is going to be great when I come home. I'm going to have two weeks off. Well, you come back after two weeks of putting your life on pause. You basically go all day, every day to try to catch up on everything that you didn't get to do for two or three weeks. Oil changes, um, you know, eight of those days, probably I'm home 14, 13 to 14 days. About eight of those days are dedicated to my daughter in some way, shape or form. Then I have two episodes to record for the upcoming month, etc., etc., etc. It's amazing how busy that you can be in the process of all this. But I had this idea that I wanted to talk about this in general, about this trip, because it was just so wild. It was so out there. Um, And I thought, well, it's kind of interesting. That's something that we can work with. And I think I can make this generally interesting. But I, again, I didn't have the theme. I didn't have the button. I didn't have the hook. Every episode for me to really tell it effectively or for the episode to flow well, it's kind of got to have a a through line, something that carries it from the beginning to the end. So wherever we go from there, there's always an anchor point to go back to. It's something that a lot of you guys, you may not even notice it, but when it comes to telling stories in any kind of format, audibly, which we are doing through the podcast, visually, which I used to do in film and television, um, in, in print, when I used to write books, things like that, there's always got to be like a button or a hook. It's got to be taking you somewhere. And when you get to that somewhere, the whole rest of everything that you have consumed so far needs to make sense. Um, and I've had episodes where I didn't have that button or hook and we just talked and they were rambly and they annoyed me. Maybe you guys liked them. I don't know, but I like them to have a theme. The podcast are just better that way. The stories just come out better that way. And I didn't really have that hook. I just had this general thing that I could talk about. But today, as I've been dealing with all the crap for the last four or five days, everything going on and then dealing with the website this morning, which I interestingly enough, ironically, like the website's been down for three or four days, five days. The last five days have been by far our best days ever for podcast downloads. Like there was just like a flip switched and suddenly the numbers jump tremendously every single day, which is great news. That is amazing. That means something went off somewhere. Something got shared somewhere. Somehow the, the floodgates opened a little, like just a little. They just cracked. We're not where we want to be. We got a long ways to go, but it's definitely positive. Um, it's positive feedback. It's a great thing for that to be happening. I'm like, of course it did. About the time that I'm sending people to the website and every episode I mentioned, that's where you can find everything. The website's been down for the same four or five days. So if anyone's been trying to go there, sorry, guys, sorry, you missed it. If you really want to go to the website, it's available now. You can head back to it. 
But as I was dealing with all this today, it kind of dawned on me there was the one thing about this general idea that I had over the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking this through was that this last trip for work sucked really, really hard. It's one of the worst I've ever had. I was miserable. I hated every second of it. It was a horrible trip. But I got to do some things on that trip. Not even fun things, unfortunately, like not even really that great of things, like not really adventurous things, not any real sincere exploration. But there were some things that happened that I'd always kind of wanted to experience. We'll get to that when we get to that. I'm not going to um, not going to spoil it right here. But there was this general thematic of kind of I kind of got an object lesson for myself in making good or finding the good, finding the silver lining in really bad situations, which Previous to this, I've always been a big proponent of like not trying to tell people like that whole count your blessings thing. Like we've talked about this. I'm almost positive we talked about this in a previous episode. And like, here's the thing about that, though, you may say it or I may have said it in the past or whatever with the best of intentions. When someone's having a crap time, they're just having a crap time. And they need to feel crappy for a minute. Sometimes they just need to feel crappy for a minute. That's like just that's a part of life. That is a healthy thing. You have to feel your feelings in order to overcome your feelings in order to actually get out of the funk you're in or whatever it is. It actually applies across the board, psychologically speaking. But I always just hated it when people were like, yeah, count your blessings, find the silver lining. It's like right now it feels like there are none. You know, there are times in your life where it's like right now, no, this just truly sucks. Could you just let it suck for me for a minute? Let me just revel in the suck. Let me just embrace the suck for a minute and then I'll get over it. I deal with it in my own way. And I just, I don't know, I always kind of hated that. But I also didn't maybe possibly fully understand that sometimes there are good things that come out of bad. It's funny because there was a link that I never made because There's also like this tendency, and I don't know, this is probably actually a legit psychological thing that I've never looked up or looked into, as interested as I am in these kinds of things. But I think that we have like a defense mechanism in our brain that always makes us remember things in the past better than they really were. Like we have this like nostalgia, like defense wall that goes up subconsciously Um, because we always think that things were better before. We're always talking about the good old days back when, Um, but several years ago, it dawned on me. I was like, you know what? I'm not being fair to myself because I'm remembering this one thing and I don't remember the specific situation, but it was something that it clicked in my own brain. It's like, wait, you're remembering this one time period in a very positive light and how much you miss those days. But I know that is the exact same time period, specific time period that X was going on. And whatever X was, was really bad. Um, And I was like, wait a second. So I'm not really being fair to myself here. Why is this happening? Why am I remembering something that as I now dig into the memories and dig into the time frame, going, wait, no, man, you were miserable because... Again, X was going on, whatever was happening. And I've just kind of dawned on me. I was like, there's probably something to this. Like we always tend to have better memories about things than what was actually happening at the time. And like, you can apply that. You look back when I drove to California for my first trip of a contingency work trip out in San Francisco, 
I enjoyed and have only amazing memories of that trip out there, that drive out there. And it was incredible. But y'all, I drove for 28 straight hours. My butt hurt. My back hurt. I was exhausted. I mean, there were 14 and 15 hour drive days. I did it twice. So I had four or five drive days total both ways, three different times, actually two different times. Either way, there was absolute misery that happened on some of those trips physically. I don't remember that. I don't remember it all. I just remember how incredible that drive was. So we tend to remember things in a more positive light. And I started thinking it's like, well, maybe what it is, is we're just remembering the good things from that time period. And our brain has kind of blocked out the more negative things, because given that example that I just used, there were really great things happening. And I just don't really remember. You don't think about the bad stuff that happened. So that gave me a little bit of perspective that never really, it just swirled around in my brain on the back burner and it never really clicked for me until this very work trip that I was just on. And I kind of recognized that this was happening to me in the moment. I was having absolutely miserable days. Again, we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the episode. And I was, oh, it was so miserable, but there were some cool things that I've always wanted to experience that I was getting to experience. And I was, that was kind of what I was living for from day to day in a way, in my mind, I was like, you're really getting to really take all of this in. And this is something you've always wanted. That's really cool. At least we have that. And then one day it just dawned on me while I was on the trip. I was like, wait a sec. This is the silver lining. This is the good in the bad happening. Something bad in your life just sucks right now. But there's something good coming out of it. You were literally kind of, in a way, quote unquote, counting your blessings. In a way, you recognize in this moment the good thing that is occurring within this. And once this is over with, you're always going to have that good experience to go with, right? You'll always have that to remember. You'll always have that. And those things feel good to me. I feel like I grow when I learn things the way I was learning things or experiencing things. And that, to me, is very powerful. Um, it's very edifying to me. So I realized like consciously, you know, like lucidly in the moment, wow, wait, you're actually living one of these moments in life right now. And I was able to like gain perspective, step back, you know, hover up to 10,000 feet and look down on it all and go right now in this moment, you're having one of those time frames where things suck, but you know, for a fact, a year down the road, Five years down the road, you're going to remember this very, very, you know, warmly. You're going to have fondly, very fondly. That's right. You're going to have fond memories of this. Um, And so that gave me the kind of a general idea of like, well, that's what we can kind of talk about thematically in tonight's episode as it comes up is taking a chance, taking the opportunities that arise as they arise to you and making the most of them, even if you don't necessarily feel like it. Even if in that moment you feel like crap, you're down about something else and you're like, I just don't want to go do this thing today. Thinking about that, maybe those are those blessings, those opportunities, those silver linings in that moment to get good things out of a bad time or a bad situation. So that's kind of where the theme popped into my mind of when life hands you lemons, because there was a moment three years ago, roughly now that I had this thought that we're going to talk about in just a second about life handing you lemons and and trying to make the best of it. So that's kind of how we arrived at what tonight's episode is really going to be about. Um, So let's just get into it. Okay, I've kind of set it up now, and that's not a great segue. We really just need to get into the thought process. But let's go back and start with 
the the California San Francisco thing. If any of you, I'm not going to try to rehash all of it. If any of you have been with us from the very beginning, we're now 39. This will be episode 40. We're getting close to a year, y'all. But if you go back to the very beginning and listen to the first six, seven, eight, nine episodes, you'll hear a whole lot of what I'm about to mention. I'm going to try to not belabor it for that purpose. But for any of you that have just joined us recently, I'm just going to kind of touch on it. Um, Four years ago, actually, this month. Something really, really terrible happened, and it sucked a whole lot. It was, like, literally life-changing. I was in a horrible spot, like, mentally, emotionally. There were days I did not want to continue on. But for the sake of my child, because her happiness is far, far more important than my misery, I was able to, belabor, you know, labor on and, and get through that time. But even though it was a terrible thing that I wanted no part of, it also ended up being like one of the best things that ever happened to me. And a lot of opportunities arose that would have never, ever been presented to me really in any other format. There was no way just the lifestyle that I had before this divorce that I didn't want to have happen happened, wouldn't have allowed these opportunities to arise. And then these opportunities arise arose and I got to do some amazing things and people will go back and they'll look through my Facebook and they'll go back two, three years. People do it all the time. I hear from people all the time. It's like, man, I was trolling your page and I've seen all the things you've done. It's so amazing, man. You must have had like a blast doing all this. And in a sense, yes, I did. But there is another side to it. You go back that three years to when I was in San Francisco, when I was making these drives out there for work and I was like getting to see the Grand Canyon and, and Meteor Crater and the Blue Hole and Santa Rosa and all of the Mojave Desert, Hoover Dam, like you name it. I stopped at all of them, anything down 40 and up through California. Like I saw everything out there. I beat the asphalt off of those roads. I've said it before. That was all amazing. But while that was happening, I'm literally going through the fallout of a divorce that I didn't want. I'm literally going through being separated from my daughter for long periods of time, just based on the fact my job, even before I had the opportunity to travel, was such that I worked six days a week, Tuesday, no, Monday through Saturday. I had to work Tuesday through Saturday when my daughter had school all day, Monday, you know, pre-K and all these things. So why sit at home and be miserable right? Living with the depression and all the crap and the anxiety that comes from going through a divorce. So I work six days a week, but either way, it only gave me one full day a week with my daughter for like, that's like the first 11 months of my employment with big purple. Well, when this opportunity arose, I was drowning, trying to get out of debt, coming out of divorce, trying to make ends meet, which I didn't make enough money to do. Inflation was bad even then four years ago, especially in this area I live in, which is an economic suck hole. And the opportunity arose and they said, would you want to go to San Francisco and work for a month? And we're going to pay you like obscene amounts of money if you want to go do that. I didn't have to think for very long because there was a plethora of reasons there. But one is I'm only getting to see my daughter for a couple of days out of this whole stupid month anyway, because I have to be at work as much as I am or I can't pay my bills. And two, it's a whole bunch of money. Maybe I could get out of some of this debt, which would make my bills get lower. Like there was all these reasons that it's like this in this moment will work. Um, And so I got to go do that. But I'm still dealing with 
separation from my daughter. She's sad about it. I am horribly sad about it. It's hard on everyone. Guys, life is hard on everyone. We all have garbage that we go through that just absolutely sucks and we hate. But I'm out there in this opportunity. And I got to do things I've wanted to do for my entire life. It's not that I did it for that reason. I went out there and I had to work. Like I worked every day and I made all that money. I earned every stinking penny of it. I worked my tail off. But back then we got Sundays off when we ran contingency, which is what that's called. When we were out there troubleshooting and taking care of business. I had all day Sunday on the Big Sur coast of California, the central coast down Big Sur up. I go to you. I went to Yosemite three times. They said, do you want to, you know, we're going to fly you out there. And I said, give me an extra day and a gas card. Let me drive. I'll save you money. I did the math way cheaper than a plane ticket. And they're like, you want to drive 28 hours? I was like, hell yes, I do. I've always wanted to drive through the desert Southwest. I've always wanted to see New Mexico and Arizona and California. Oh my God. So like I saw the opportunities as they arose. I made the decisions that I made at the time based on the best information I have and what I had to do to make ends meet. But I was able to gain through all that miserable crap I was dealing with opportunities and I took them. I just got off work here in San Francisco at four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm two or, you know, two or three hours to dark. I'm only 30 minutes from the coast over here. I can get down to Big Sur. I can drive down Highway 1 or whatever the case is. The opportunities were there and I took them instead of just reveling in. I'm miserable. Life is miserable. This sucks. I hate it. Blah, 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 blah. I lived in that moment that was presented to me. And that's when I arrived at back then when life hands you lemons, you know, the saying goes make lemonade. But I was standing at the ocean somewhere. One of the beautiful beaches down through the central coast of California. Couldn't tell you which one I frequented all of them. Photography, everything that you can think of is just beautiful and amazing. And I was standing there at the ocean one day and the waves were just, you know, washing up probably knee high on me. I'm looking around. You've got the seagulls. You've got the birds. You've got all the different things happening. Sunset was happening every day. I got so many sunset pictures and I was thinking real deep and hard about exactly what I'm talking to you about right now, which is sometimes life is absolutely horrible. But look at this opportunity. Look at what you get to see right now. You did what you had to do and this presented itself to you. And this is a moment to me that was huge. Like those moments were big to me. That was a turning point in my life, y'all. And I was aware of it at the time. If you go read on our website, waywardstories.com, that first blog says, what's this all about? I would love for all of you to go check out that blog because it succinctly talks about exactly what my mindset is behind this project, behind my life, what I'm trying to do here. Like go check that out. But out there in California, that's the time when all of this stuff kind of came about and all of these ideas came to me. We're going to make this podcast. We're going to do this thing. I want this to happen. It's when that grew inside of me. But I was standing there on the ocean that day thinking about this, just thinking about how amazing this was, but how heartsick I was because I couldn't have my daughter there with me to see it. She's like three years old, right? It's not like I could just take her on this road trip with me on this work trip. And I'm sitting there looking at it and it just dawned on me. It was like, when life hands you lemons, throw them into the ocean, forget lemonade, 
take them to the ocean. The ocean heals your soul. That's what I learned in California more than anything. The ocean is a healing medium. Somehow, some way, it gives you perspective on your place in this world. It gives you perspective on your own life. Like there is something about the ocean that is absolutely magical. And dare I say, possibly spiritual. The ocean is an incredible thing to see. And especially on the coast of California. Y'all, like you think of a lot of people from where I'm from, Arkansas, Oklahoma, you know, all around here. Everyone goes to Florida because Florida is not 29 hours away. Florida is like 16 hours away. Well, some of the places, Pensacola, things like that, people like to go are like 14 hours away. Everyone goes to Florida and the beaches there are beautiful, but they're like, you know, calm water, white sandy beaches. You know, some of them have beautiful water. Um, California, it is dramatically beautiful in a way that Florida can't touch. The central, specifically central California coast, the northern California coast, like it is dramatically beautiful, huge, craggy, amazing mountains, sea arches out in the ocean, like angry, angry waves, angry ocean coming straight at you. I said in the previous podcast that the landmass and the ocean in California oppose each other violently. Like the mountain doesn't want to go anywhere and the ocean wants to eat it. And it creates dramatically beautiful landscapes. And it just, it was so striking to me, man. I figured out so much about me out there. And all of it comes back to the thematic that I wanted to talk about for tonight's episode, which is taking a minute to recognize that even in some of the worst moments and the worst things that we go through in our lives, opportunities are there and things might even be happening. If you can step back for a second and notice what they are that are really, really great things. The lemons that you can take and baseball heave into the ocean. Um, and to me that is so, I don't know. I think that is tremendously helpful. If you can stop and notice, I mean, through some of the darkest times that I went through, y'all, I miss some of those times in a particular way. This one's a little bit deep, but when I was going through the darkest stuff before this opportunity to go off and work out on the road ever arose, and I was just literally trying to survive, trying to make sense of why all these things happened and why, how this could have possibly happened. And what did I do wrong? Why did I deserve this? Did I earn this? Like you go through all these things when you've like literally been traumatized by like a horrible experience. Um, and there are things about this. Y'all, a lot of y'all might be like, man, divorce ain't that big a deal. There's a lot of stuff that I am omitting purposefully. Okay. A lot of stuff I'm omitting purposefully for the sake of my daughter's sake. For one thing, she's actually getting old enough now in another two or three years, she'll be listening to this podcast. I have no doubt. Like there's stuff I'm purposefully omitting, um, in the best interest of many people to be completely honest, but it was super traumatic for me and it rocked my world. Some of those darkest moments in that first two or three or four months, like y'all, I did not want to continue on and I'm not going to go any deeper than that with it, but I didn't want to keep going. I just straight up didn't. When it came back around to months and months later, I noticed that I missed something about that time frame. I was like, God, I really miss how centered I felt. And I think the reason for that is, is because literally at that point, I didn't care if I lived or died. And there were days that I actually would have preferred the latter. Like, and I'm not being overdramatic about that. There were days I would have preferred the latter. When you reach that point, your life does a complete restructuring of priorities. And you realize 
how meaningless 90% of the crap that you care so deeply about truly is in the big scheme when you go through that kind of a situation. Nothing matters anymore but survival, for one thing. Nothing matters for me anymore but my daughter's happiness and how to do what's best for her and have her have a healthy life and how to build a future that she deserves coming out of something. I wanted her to have a whole family. That was my number one priority. And now this wasn't going to happen. And that rocked my world. That destroyed me. And it still destroys me to this day, except now I have the benefit of four years of hindsight to go. Actually, it may not. It Even to this day, it may not seem like it to her. And even to this day, sometimes it doesn't seem like it to me. But with that benefit of that hindsight and seeing all the things in a whole new perspective, like this is actually way more positive for her. She has a better chance in this world by far because this happened. Um, but at that time you don't see that, right? You don't know that. So what I, I got off track, I went on my tangent, but the point I was trying to make is even though that was a hell that I literally prefer not to remember, there's something about it that I miss and what it was, I didn't recognize the time, but I felt so centered. I felt so clear headed because literally there was only two or three things on my mind all day, every day and nothing else. There was nothing else. I didn't care about college football anymore, which I loved to the point of it actually probably being like not healthy. I didn't care anymore about politics, which ironically probably played, played a role in the downfall of everything. We lived in a news cycle, a very unhealthy positive feedback loop. I mean, I'd almost go as far as to say as a negative feedback loop because all the information that we had positively reinforcing was terrible information. And it was divisive information. It was miserable information. We were living in like the news loop, like the, the news cycle. And that's horrible. Don't do that, guys. Like you, if you are, hate the world right now, but you're constantly scrolling your, your social feeds like Facebook, you're constantly watching CNN or Fox or any of them. I don't care which affiliation they're way, if they're right, left, I don't care. If that's if you watch only that and you're constantly scrolling your social feeds, you're only seeing what you have chosen to see, what you want to see, unless you actively seek out alternate news sources that counter what you're seeing and try to find the best information. If you're literally in your own feedback loop and you find that generally in life you're miserable and you think the world is horrible and everything's going to burn in hell and it should turn off all of your um, socials quit watching the news for one week. I challenge you one week, one week, and just live in your real world. Talk to your real friends, your real family, go out at work and deal with your real associates and pay more attention to what's really happening all around you. I just, I would bet you money. Like I'll stand on that. I would bet you money that you see the world a little bit differently and you find yourself a little bit less miserable. Just try it. Just try it. You don't have to, you know, take it with a grain of salt, toss it out the window. You know how I am. I just throw out opinions. I am fully well aware this is an opinion and not a fact, but I'm just saying, just give it a shot. That happened to me, not by my own choice. I was thrown into it. My world got a whole lot better as soon as I quit giving a crap about politics and everything that was going on in the world. And I started caring about what was going on in my world, my little world, not the broader world in general. And I need to take a note from that because right now I'm starting to get a little down in the down in the dumps again because I have been paying more attention because this thing that's going on in the Ukraine with Russia, which you won't hear this for two weeks. So who knows what's going to be going on two weeks from now? But at this moment, we're dealing with Russia invading the Ukraine and all kinds of crazy crap going on in the world. And, you know, Russia can be scary. They got a lot of power. 
they're sitting on a lot of power they can push a button on. And I've been getting a little bit down in the mouth. So I need to take my own advice and get out of the news cycle so much and just maybe check in once a day just to make sure there's nothing important that I should just know about. But regardless, <laughs> again, my tangents as they go on, hopefully this is helpful to someone. I told you tonight would be a rambler and we're being way more personal than I expected to be. But the point I have overall here, I think is a good one. Even through the worst of times, sometimes good things present themselves. And what I realized in that time that was so dark for me that lasted three or four months or five months before it started to, say, alleviate just a little bit, is how close I felt to myself, how clear-headed I felt. And I am a spiritual person. Again, I make no comment on what kind of spirituality, and I judge none of you for yours or none of those things. But I felt closer to what I believe in than I ever have, because that's all I could depend on every day. Like I felt like I was on the verge of death or losing everything or becoming homeless for quite some time before things started to stabilize. It was bad. And all I had to depend on was a faith in something. And I felt way closer to that than I ever have in my whole life. And I got a whole new perspective on it and even went down a whole new path based on this experience. And all of that was incredibly positive for me long run. In that moment, it didn't seem that way, but long run, it was amazing. And I find what I missed from then was that closeness I felt, again, to myself being centered and understanding so much more clearly what I wanted in my life and out of this life. It's funny how that kind of trauma strips away all of the dross. It gets absolutely simple and you get down to, I just wish And it's usually just two or three things. This is what I want life to look like. And life gets so simple. Goals get so simple. I miss that. And see what you can take out of it now. What I can take out of it now is, well, I see a time and I see what caused my nostalgic feelings. Maybe there's a way that I can bring back some of those nostalgic feelings. Maybe I can do something to bring back some of that closeness and that whatever that I had, because that just means I probably need to check more back out of the social media right now that probably needs i need to means i need to spend more time in a little bit of meditation or ret, you know retrospection introspection any of those kind of things it gives me something to work with i learned something then i notice it now and it gives me something to work with to say maybe i can bring a little bit of that back and find a balance and not have to do it at a horrible time but now in a little bit better time anyway we have rambled on now For our first 35 minutes, we've gone over time for the first um, half of the show, which we don't really have time. I try to keep them around an hour, but I don't really care if I put out a two hour episode. I don't even care, y'all. My favorite podcast out there are super long form. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Yeah, I wish he threw me a six hour episode twice a month, not twice a year. But that's just me. I know a lot of people like shorter form stuff, so I try to play the line of about an hour. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and take our commercial break for tonight's show. And after this, we will get right back and we will talk about next week's or uh, we'll talk about the next half of the episode. What I was going to talk about my trip last week. We're going to talk about um, a little bit more of everything that we've already touched on, but we're going to put it in a little bit more context for what I intended to do originally tonight. Hang on for just a few seconds. We'll be right back after this break. I want to take a second to tell you guys about tonight's sponsor, Survival Feeling. 
Survival Feeling is a hiking brand based in Greece, and they offer an assortment of gear that's aimed towards the goal of helping you better enjoy your time outside. And that is, of course, what we are all about here at Wayward Stories. I really like this company for a lot of reasons, but chief amongst them is that they were founded with giving back to the community in mind. They donate a portion of all proceeds to organizations like the Wildland Firefighters Foundation to help support those who work to keep us all safe while we're out there trying to find ourselves. We've partnered with them to bring you guys a unique coupon code that will save you wayward souls 15% off of your order. Go to survivalfeeling.com and use offer code waywardstories at checkout. Once again, that's survivalfeeling.com and use the offer code waywardstories. And welcome back. Thank you guys for hanging around through the commercial break. We encourage you to check out any and all of our sponsors and, um, you know, let them know we sent you. If you actually do some business with them, just let them know. Hey, I heard about you on Wayward Stories because that could only help us big picture down the road. All right. Let's keep moving. The first half of this episode, I hope I didn't scare you guys off. If you're hearing this, then I guess you've hung around. First half of the episode got a little bit deeper and hev- deeper and heavier than I really wanted it to. And then I really like, like to go, but I guess, you know, I'm man, I'm an open book. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't mind like talking about anything. We will try to lighten it up just a little bit here. Um, One thing I do want to point out is this has been an opportunity, and I probably should have been a little bit more clear about this in the beginning of the episode, that this was an opportunity for me to point out that my life is not glamorous. I don't get paid to do this. This still costs me money, a significant amount of money that I don't really have every year to just produce this podcast and put out the YouTube. It's something I'm passionate about, something that I love and something I feel compelled and driven to do is to share my story, share my experiences and build a platform, hopefully, ultimately for all of you to also share stories so we can have this big community and we can all tell stories because I believe there is healing in story sharing. I learned that on the trails through this last four years and it worked for me. And that's where I got the idea of like, man, if we could all just talk and understand each other better and see that everyone's dealing with crap and has been through crap, like it just validates our experiences. It, it's a healing process. It helps us all to move on when we've had bad stuff going. And like, that was the whole goal. That's the whole drive. But if you go back through my Facebook, like I mentioned earlier, as many people do, I've had people say, and I mentioned this in previous episodes, but I've had people say like, man, your life looks fabulous. It's like, it's really not. I work a full-time job all the damn time, like working in this podcast and everything else. I love it. I do it because I love it. It takes a lot of my extra free hours and I don't have that many between my daughter and my work. Finite, minuscule, finite amount of time for me to do things for me, which is what I consider this podcast. This is second in line of priorities. My daughter is first and my production of this project is second. And I think that's actually pretty accurate to how my priorities fall at the moment. Um, but my life's not glamorous. Like I don't get paid to travel all the time. I don't get to just drive around and go on these adventures. Like I have to make them happen and they cost me money out of my pocket. What little expendable funds that I have, it comes out of my pocket. I do it because I love the experiences. I love to learn more. I love the adventure. And I'm just trying to produce stuff to show you guys, as I've mentioned before, that there's a life beyond trauma. There's a life beyond horrible crap, but you do have to work for it. But I thought this was a great example to point out 
you go back and look and he's been how long was he in california look at his facebook look at this there's thousands of pictures of the coast like day after day after day did he live there he didn't he just traveled there no i was working there and i was going to the coast after work on my one day off a week you know while i was separated from my child having to be out there working to make a living like there was good and bad it's not just glamorous and i just the reason i want to point it out there is a point for me to say that is there a lot of people right now out there that are struggling with, I mean, to be completely honest, jealousy of people in their Facebook feeds and their Instagram feeds on their Twitter feeds, wherever you social, there's a lot of people that are dealing with kind of a low seated jealousy. And it's not like the kind of like ugly, ugly, mean jealousy, like, Oh, I hate them. Why do they get to do good stuff? But my point is everyone's social profile. The vast majority of people does do look fabulous because what you post is what you want people to see, what you want people to to understand about you. And to most of us, the things we want people to see that are about us is the things we love, the things we enjoy. Mine specifically is dedicated to basically this podcast and the YouTube channel and my project. My stuff is dedicated to that because I'm trying to promote it, trying to get it out there, trying to get a following because I would love eventually to get paid to do this. God, hell yeah. I think any of us would. Right now, it's a side hustle. Right now, it's my passion project. But I wouldn't stop you if you come up and said, yo, bro, I'm going to pay you four grand a month if you'll advertise my brand on your podcast. I'll be like, I'll take it. I'll take it. And I quit my job. My real job can kiss off. Like, of course, any of us would do that. But that means what you see on my profile is curated by me. Believe it or not, what you put on your profile is curated by you. And if you are a self-reflective person and you can stop for a second and go, oh, damn, he done nailed me. And you go back and look down through your Facebook, you you will see exactly what it is you want the world to know about you and what you want to tell them. So my point is, don't let yourself be overcome with any kind of jealousy or anger because other people seem to have some kind of a glorious, glamorous life. You don't know what their life is actually like. They might be, and God forbid, again, let's not get too dark, but they might be going home every night struggling with suicidal thoughts. Y'all, I've had multiple relatives that have committed suicide. I know lots of people extremely close to me that have struggled with trying not to, not wanting to go there. You know, mental health is a real issue that we face in this world, and you don't know what they're going home to. They might live in misery. Like, God, what, two episodes ago, we did, like, Grandma Gatewood? Look at what she did. If you only heard the good side of her story, you'd be like, man, what a cool old lady. I wish I didn't have to have a job and I could just go walk the Appalachian Trail. But because there's context, because her life is on paper, you know that she was brutally physically abused by a husband in a time where that was, like, kind of pretty much okay. And she was, like, very lucky. She was granted a divorce in an era where that was, like, unheard of. And then she overcame that trauma and went and did something awesome. But we have that context. When you're looking at social media, you don't really have any context. You don't know what these people's lives are really like. So don't be jealous. Like, why do they get to do that? Boy, are they privileged. Like some of us, you know, most people aren't. Most people aren't. There are some people out there that kind of are, but that ain't everyone. And it's probably not the people that you're friends with. You know, just saying, just saying food for thought. I just wanted to put a lot of my personal life out there tonight for the sake of illustrating this point to you. Don't don't get overcome with what you wish you could 
and hope you could do based on things that you might be seeing driving those thought processes. Because like, again, their life's really probably not what you think it is. I mean, I'm going to say like 99 and a half percent of the time is probably nowhere near what you actually think it is, nor as awesome as it looks. Anyway, moving on. So of the opportunities that arose for me throughout this last four years, once I reached the point of being good enough at my job to be able to be called upon to travel all over this country, go blind into a brand new city and go fix problems was that I got to see a lot of cities. Like if I, what San Francisco was my first one. I have done Kokomo and Indianapolis, Indiana, both of them, Jackson, Mississippi and Jackson, Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, Um, I've now done, and we're about to talk about this. I've now done Lexington, Kentucky, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Columbus, Ohio, like multiple cities. And what was so awesome about all of this to me, um, oh, did I say St. Louis? I've spent like the last year and a half in St. Louis. We've talked about that. But what was awesome about this to me is like, I grew up with this innate desire to go experience all these different like subcultures in the U S like my stuff's never really been internationally driven. I've always been way more domestically interested and it's probably because it's the TV we had when we were growing up. When I was growing up in the eighties, you know, what'd you have? You had like some Hill street blues were still around and playing. I think they were in the seventies, but I think we had those in syndication and reruns. Maybe it was current in the eighties. I don't remember. We had Roseanne, which was set in Chicago. I think Hill street blues may have even been set in Chicago. I'd have to look into that, but you had all these different TV shows that were always on every night. And they showed you a side, even though they might have been, well, dramas, but also sitcoms or whatever. They showed you a side of a different part of the world, a different part of the country that you've never been to. And we have all these little subcultures. When you think of New York City, what do you think about? Well, probably like law and order type stuff. Lots of TV shows that are crime dramas are set in New York City, right? What is it portrayed as? Dirty, gritty, violent, like subways everywhere cars everywhere, people everywhere. It is its own experience. It is its own culture in and of itself. You watch like, oh, Miami Vice was a good one back in the day. Miami, like, what does it look like? It's all sun and palm trees. California, tons of stuff. California, God, you get into the 90s, you get like full house, San Francisco itself. Um, You get like exposures to these different environments through, granted, fictional mediums, But they do a relatively decent job, as I've come to learn firsthand, of representing the cities that they are set in, kind of for what they're known for, kind of for how they really are. And I always just had this innate desire to travel for the very purpose of experiencing these other little subcultures within the broader American culture. And of course, as America being a melting pot, so much of that has to do with the different times and levels of immigration and where thing you know all the migrations that have happened over the course of the United States of America. And that's part of what makes it beautiful. Like you go into an area that has a large Hispanic population, you're gonna learn all about the way they celebrate Catholicism and the way they treat family and the way they revere family and mothers and grandmothers and grandfather. Like you could get to eat some freaking amazing food. You go into an area that's highly has a high Asian population. You get to learn all about their um, traditions, their religions, their beliefs, their culture, their food. To me, that's a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, as I look around social media, I am appalled to see that a whole lot of people that I used to respect think it's a terrible thing. 
But you know what? That's really their loss. And that is a fact. But beyond that, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. And I love that. And I always said growing up when I got older into like my teenage years, I was like, it would be really awesome if I could like go live in some of these cities for just like six months, you know, just six months where you really live there. You really experience what they experience, their weather patterns, their traffic, their um, type of people. Like some people in some cities are really, really rude. Some are incredibly friendly. Um, but like literally really experience their little subculture. I always thought that would be amazing. But like through my limited life experience, when I was in my early twenties and opportunities to do something like that were probably more existent, I wouldn't let myself go because I decided I couldn't leave for six months because of my brother or my mother or my girlfriend at the time or whatever the heck it was. You had all these reasons to never leave. Like I made up for myself And I always regretted that. I was like, you should have gone. And that's my advice for a lot of young people these days. When I work with really young guys, I'm like, hey, just give this some thought. If you had an opportunity to move and live somewhere for six months and make a living and go experience, you know, get out there. Go. Go if you can now. Because once you get older, once you have kids, once you get married, that stuff gets like exponentially harder to accomplish. Um, But I always wanted to do that. Never got to always regretted it. I, not ironically, but I mean, maybe incidentally, this opportunity arose for me to travel for Big Purple. And I've gotten to do exactly that. Maybe not all the places that I would like to, but a significant portion of them. And I think that's kind of like what tonight's episode sort of about. This last four years has been a hell for me in so many ways. But it's also been an amazing experience because these opportunities, things I'd wanted my entire life kind of came to pass without me really trying for them, just realizing I want this to happen. And it kind of just did. Opportunities came up that I could have never imagined in my whole life. San Francisco got to go to San Francisco. I got to do like four or six. I can't remember, y'all. So much has come and gone through my brain. I know I was there almost three months, but I can't remember if I did two five week stretches and or what it was, but I made multiple trips out I-40 through New Mexico, Arizona. Um, I think you clip Nevada for a split second. Um, and then you head up through California and go live on the coast. And that's exactly what I got to do. You know, number one, I got to experience the Route 66 experience. I tried to drive portions of Route 66 anywhere I had the chance. There's some really good ones out there. and We have episodes on them if you go back far enough. Um, And that was amazing to get a little bit of a taste of that Americana, that nostalgic idea of the American road trip that was born out of the really post-World War II um, nuclear family. Like the idea of, you know, a wife, a kid, two kid, 2.5 kids, a dog in the yard, a picket fence. And, you know, the road trips became a thing. And Route 66 was a thing. This was pre-interstates. And everyone loved to drive out Route 66. And all those old hotels and the concrete, you know, teepees that were there as, as hotels. And all the roadside attractions and the desert and the mesas and the all the things. I got to experience that multiple times in a very short period of time. And that was a beautiful experience to me. San Francisco itself, like the blending of culture there is amazing. Like, and now we're going to kind of get into a little bit more of 
maybe more travel and more wayward stories, really oriented style material. But one of the things I loved about California, the probably the biggest, most noticeable thing I loved, like when you live, say here in Arkansas, in, in the Bible Belt, in the places where the old blue laws still exist and all these things, there is, unfortunately, maybe, you know, people would get mad at me for saying this. Um, there's still a lot of bigotry in a way. Like there's not like flat out racism the way that there used to be, but there's a lot of bigotry in a lot of ways because people just, they don't want change. Humans don't like change. And here it's like, we coexist peacefully, but like you don't hang out, people don't hang out with each other. And it's not just racial. It's not just ethnic. It's not that. It's just like anyone that's different than you. If you like, there are guys here that just love cars. They just love, love, love cars. And they call them motorheads and no one likes them because they act like jerks. But then you've got all these people over here that are just the good old boy rednecks. And they don't like this group of people and that group of people. But we all work together. We all get along. We all have, you know, congenial relations. But it's all two-faced. Like, no, they all talk about each other behind their backs. Like, I guess that's probably the world in general, right? But there's very much this sense of just like, you guys are you guys. And of course, you're stupid because you're you guys. We're cool. We know all the answers. We're good. We're good over here. You guys are idiots. But you just do you. You know, whatever. Just stay out of our way. The thing about San Francisco that was amazing, like there is so many different ethnicities, but really mostly Asian and Hispanic are, is what I dealt with in, in, in our terminal that I was working out of, with of um, a small, much smaller percentage of African-American, mostly Asian, mostly Hispanic. And then like I was the real, real minority, me and the three or four guys I was there with, like we literally were three or four of the only guys there that are basically just Caucasian. Um, what I loved about it is everyone got along and genuinely liked each other. Yeah. Not when I say everyone, you know, of course there's going to be certain people that don't like certain people. They're going to be racist there. They're going to be bigots there, but like on the whole, the culture of the society at large was okay. Hey, you're a meathead. Like you, you, you got, I mean, you're freaking swole. All you do is work out all day. We're here and say, Arkansas, that guy, just no one, everyone treats him like he's a jerk because no one wants to talk to him because he's not like us. He doesn't do our redneck thing or our motorhead thing or our whatever out there. It was like, it was cool. Like, okay, I'm not into that, but I mean, it doesn't affect me at all. They're still buddies. Like they're still buddies. Everyone actually respected each other's different, like, Everyone's got their own thing. Like me, I take all kinds of crap, or especially when I wasn't over the road and I was here at home. I took all kinds of crap because I do photography. That's not like no one around here likes that. That's artsy fartsy stuff. And they use a lot of things that I'm sure you can come up with in your mind of what, what kind of person I must be to like taking pictures. Like that's what you deal with here out there is like, Oh dude, your photography's awesome. Yeah. I was always kind of interested in that, but I never got into it. Cause I just, you know, I love my cars too much. That's where all my money goes. There is a mutual respect of each other's different interests and drives and lifestyles. People just let each other be. And I loved that. And it's the only place, only place that I've ever been now out of all my travels. And I know there are more and you guys write in, let me know where somewhere else that's like this. Cause I'd love to go visit it. But in my personal experiences and all my travels, San Francisco's the only place that stands out to me like that, where 
everyone genuinely respected each other's stuff. They just let each other do their thing, and then they were still all buddies. They'd still all go bowling together. Here, the rednecks and the meatheads are not going bowling together. Out there in Cali, at least in South San Francisco, San Jose, Santa Cruz, like down in that general area where I spent all my time, people just let people be, and they still go out and have a beer together. Like they... And, and would show interest in each other's interest, even though they weren't interested at all. But it was a genuine thing. Like people just mutually respected each other far more than I've encountered anywhere else. And I know that I've used this area I've grown up in my whole life as an example. And any of you Arkansans, my fellow Arkansans that that listen to me, please don't be offended. Most of you, a lot of you might have noticed exactly what I'm saying. But I don't want you to be offended because it ain't just us. You should see what it's like in St. Louis. You should see Columbus. Oh my God. Like you, you know, in our minds, we have this idea that the further North or the further South, like none of that's true. We're all pretty much the same. It's the same everywhere. San Francisco is the lone true example that I can think of where it was like that. Other things that I thought were really cool. Like I mentioned the concept of, you know, growing up and seeing these different cultures and how cool would it be to experience some of them? One of those things has always been like, you know, you would see Detroit or Pittsburgh displayed and it's kind of the Rust Belt, Industrial Revolution, dirty, gritty, like, you know, super big sports fans, the workaday Joe, go and have a beer after a long day at the steel mill and it's cold as hell because we live up here right off the Great Lakes and we got lake effect snow and all this stuff. When I was working out of Kokomo, Indiana... I learned a certain bit about that. I got to go up and see Detroit. It wasn't far. I got to go up to Lake Michigan. I got some killer pictures in a winter storm on Lake Michigan in St. Joe in their lighthouse. I worked out at Kokomo, which has some of the largest transmission plants in the United States. As a matter of fact, they lay claim that the very first car was invented in Kokomo, Indiana. You can go online and read about it if you want. It's a hugely industrial town. It is the epitome of a Midwest industrial city. And I got to experience that. But guess what's just outside of town? Nothing but row and row and row of cornfields, which is its own experience all itself. I mean, there were Amish and there were Mennonite um, everywhere. And it was really cool because I had one delivery area where literally the north side of this highway was all the Amish folk and the south side were all the Mennonite folk. And the food, oh my God, y'all, the food was incredible. Like you could stop into their stores. One of them was Miller's Country Store and you could, and I believe that was on the Mennonite side of the road. And you could stop in there for lunch and you could like get a hamburger made out of a cow that was alive yesterday. You want to talk about fresh food, y'all. Oh, rock candy. They made like handmade rock candy. Like they still keep alive a lot of the traditions that, you know, love it or lump it. You guys like we're not making any judgment here on religious preferences at all, but they have preserved a piece of an American lifestyle that predates a World War II, that predates a World War One. You get into like what life was like in a way. Again, it's changed because there's technology and the Mennonites, I believe, still embrace it. The Amish do not. But regardless, you get into a point where you see and get to experience what life would have been like for you and me had we lived in 1885 or 1870 or what the heck ever. You can experience the things that literally built this country. The things our predecessors, our forebears, that's how they lived. And you can go up there. And you get to spend enough time there. I spent the better part of five months in Kokomo off and on in Indianapolis for about a month as well. But you spend your five months there. I got what I wanted when I was growing up. 
just been six months living somewhere, three months in San Francisco. That's close enough. Y'all, you spend one week anywhere actually working there on their streets every day, doing their things, the things that they do, experiencing their culture and their weather and their food and their everything. You're, you're doing what I always wanted to do. And I think that's awesome because you gain a broader knowledge base, a broader understanding of everything that's going on in this world, or at least in our country. Because you suddenly have a different perspective. You've suddenly made friends. I've got friends literally all over the United States now because I've worked with them. You gain a perspective like on how they see us as, say, Southerners. And they gain a perspective on how a lot of Southerners see them. Because I can have, I love having those conversations. Being like, here's how a lot of people in the South say, view you. This is how people talk. I hear this. I know this. Like, I don't really think that way because I'm more like, I hate blanket statements. I'm against broad, you know, throwing, casting a wide net and making blanket statements. And times change. A lot of the, let's say, prejudices we have against certain groups of people predate any of us and the world changes daily. It's changed a ton in the last 10, 20, 30 years just because the internet's y'all like the world is changing. Everyone's different and you don't know until you go see it for yourself. So just watch these things that you say, like so many of these people in the South to this exact point are like, I'm damn Yankees. Well, I've worked with a bunch of damn Yankees now and I don't see anything about them. This damned, they're pretty decent people. Like, and this whole Southern hospitality, y'all, I've lived in the South my whole life. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know where that came from. Like, it ain't nobody here hospitable. These are some of the angriest people I've ever seen in my life. And I used to deliver to them every single day. I mean, you're bringing them stuff they ordered. You'd think they'd be happy to see you. No, they bringing out guns. Here are you. What do you want? Like, no, it, y'all, just I'm saying paradigms have shifted. Things have changed. We're in a new world and it could be. And is in so many ways a beautiful place, but you got to take your nose out of Instagram for long enough to go see it. Um, that's that's important here. But as I got to go around like Jackson, Mississippi, y'all, I saw my mom used to talk about dirt floor poor when we were young. Um, and we were very poor growing up, but we weren't dirt floor poor. We had a real floor. I saw a dirt floor in Jackson, Mississippi just over a year ago. It's 2021. You know, I saw like old blankets hanging up for doors at shacks so far back. There is still abject poverty in places like that. The South is a very poor um, section of the country, um, but there were some good people down there. Jackson, Mississippi, personally, was not my favorite. People there were actually very, very grumpy. But I was there at a very bad time, too, during a lot of riots, a lot of social unrest. That's like, again, it just over a year ago maybe a little longer. Things were pretty rough down there. And so it wouldn't be fair to judge them based on that, but it was pretty tough down there. Um, but I got to experience what life is like kind of in the deep South in sections of the deep South. Um, and that's what's so cool about getting out and adventuring. Like again, under most of these circumstances, I was out traveling Going through bad things in my life, struggling, having to be away from my daughter for two or three weeks at a time and living with this burden of guilt because she's having to go without me for two or three weeks at a time and not old enough to really fully understand this is something daddy has to do. That's tough. Y'all carrying stuff like that's tough. Trying to just pay bills and get caught up is tough. But because I was already there and I ain't got nothing to do after work. There were opportunities. When I was in Mississippi, I got to go see the Nanawaya Mound, which is the origin place of the Choctaw people, of which I have some heritage. 
and has always been really cool to me. I love that that's in my heritage. And I got to go see where the origin story that the Choctaw have, where it, where it's at in this mound in Mississippi. You just have to look for the opportunities. You may be going through crap, but look around because there's something probably happening that you will remember fondly somewhere down the road. And to my latest work adventure, and we'll wrap up the episode with this because I've actually got to hope tonight's not a preachy episode. We've had some fun in the last several episodes. I did not mean tonight to get this damn heavy. Hopefully it doesn't come off super heavy. Hopefully it just comes off more like a story and a very personal one that maybe some of you can relate to and maybe it could be helpful to you, which is the ultimate goal always is to be helpful in some way to you guys. Um, but let's get into this last work trip because that's how, what <laughs> it's kind of funny. We've almost hit, we have hit our one hour and we haven't even touched the thing yet that this whole episode was supposed to be about. So it's taken its own path. It was organic tonight and we're just going to go with it. This last work trip, I've been in St. Louis. I've told you guys in several episodes in the past that I've been in and out of St. Louis for the better part of a year and a half, a little bit longer. I have the longest tenure working out of St. Louis of anyone on our crew. Like I've been in and out. I know every stinking part of St. Louis and some of them like the back of my hand. Y'all, I don't even have to have Google Maps in St. Louis anymore. How wild is that? I just know where my exits are. I know where everything is. But the thing about St. Louis is once you've seen the arch, once you've like, I mean, even if you go a little bit further and you stretch it out, if you get lucky one day, like I went up to Hannibal and I went in the Mark Twain cave and I did the, the, the lamp tour of crystal cave. I went down to Merrimack caverns, you know, like things that are like an hour, hour and a half drive, you know, again, taking opportunities. That's a long day. You have a full day of work, but sometimes it's like, I'm here and I want to see this Salem bomb church was right across the river outside of East St. Louis. It was like an hour drive. In a year and a half, I went a lot of places, but that last six months, y'all, I was out of stuff to go see. Like at that point, you know, again, you go to a St. Louis a Cardinals game, you go to a Blues game, you go to the Arch. All that's left is to be like mugged and murdered. Like there's nothing left going on in St. Louis. So like I was done with it. I was done with it. So I was kind of psyched this last time when they were like, look, we want you to go to Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky this time. And I was like, so wheat, a whole new state, a whole new area. Can't wait. Let's do it. So I go my freaking 12 hour drive to Lexington, Kentucky in just in the wake of uh, winter storm Landon, which if any of you remember, it was just a few weeks ago, socked. The Northeast, it socked Arkansas. Like we were shut down interstates. Arm, the Army National Guard had to get out on the interstates and help people. It was a mess. Well, in the immediate aftermath, I mean, there were 17, I counted 17 total wrecked semis in ditches or medians just trying to get to Lexington from Fort Smith, Arkansas. It's a bad situation. But I get to Lexington and to kind of, this is where we'll get some stuff that goes along with, um, really the wayward stories theme of, you know, kind of traveling, finding stuff to do where you are. Um, when I was in Lexington, I get to Lexington. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You're kind of, you're not in the Appalachians yet or the Appalachians, however you want to pronounce it. You're not there yet, but you're kind of in these rolling things that could possibly be described as foothills kind of heading up towards the Appalachian mountains. Um, and it was absolutely gorgeous. The city of Lexington itself, like downtown at least, like it's the rings around it, the bypasses, like they look a lot like any city, like it's industrial, it's commercial, it's kind of dirty, it's whatever. It's just any city. But you go into 
I drove into work the first day through downtown early and their downtown is small and absolutely gorgeous. Like you got big, tall office buildings, but just a handful of them for just like three or four blocks tops. They're all lit up with like, they still had like Christmas light type of things going on on them and absolutely gorgeous. And then you immediately drop right back into these really, really old neighborhoods, like antebellum type of looking stuff. It was beautiful. And there were these stone mason walls everywhere in Lexington. I mean, I go home and I do what I do. I research it. And they're stacked stone walls that were made by, oh gosh, was it Irish immigrants or German? I'm not going to fact check it here on the fly, but it was immigrants who brought this, like this art form. It's literally an art form. I mean, it is a trade, but it's an art. Stacked stone walls. And there are like miles and miles and miles of intricate and beautiful stacked stone, not masonry, stacked stone walls all over Lexington. And they're absolutely beautiful. Some people call them slave walls. Um, And there's a little bit of misinformation out there that they were actually built by forced slave labor. Um, And that's not actually true. I actually looked into that as deeply as I could. And this does not appear to be example of something in history being actually whitewashed, so to speak. This was actual work from these immigrants. And then they passed that trade on to people who were enslaved, but the slaves were not forced to, at least in general, to build these walls under harsh slave conditions. But it, it became a thing where there was a little bit of a misunderstanding and it's become known as slave walls. And that's one case where that wasn't actually the case. It was a trade that they passed to them and taught them how to do. Um, They're beautiful walls. They're so cool. Lexington's so cool. And get this, y'all. Get this, y'all. Lexington, Kentucky, not far from a place called Fort Boonesboro. Boone as in Danny Boone. Oh, Daniel Boone. Maybe you've heard of him. You older generation, I know you have. Quite an ubiquitous character in American history. Well, There's a cool story about this. This is where I learned that there was once a short-lived colony. You know, you remember like, hey, the lost colony of Roanoke, the colony um, West Virginia or the Virginia colony. There was once a colony, short-lived as it was, the Transylvania colony. You know, most of the colonies became states. Think about how close we might have gotten to having Transylvania is one of the United States of America. And it's interesting because it's by the, you know, Daniel Boone had a huge role in this. I want you to understand this. Think about this. This guy, I believe it was Richard Henderson and Daniel Boone. They get together. Richard Henderson forms the Transylvania um, company, LLC, whatever, whatever they did back in the 1700s. 1775, he creates this Transylvania company. And he gets Daniel Boone and says, go blaze me a trail down to this area in central Kentucky and we're going to start a colony. So Daniel Boone, the American frontiersman, does exactly that, sets up Boonesboro, becomes Fort Boonesboro, which has its own history that we're not going to cover here because this episode's getting very long. Um, And they set up this colony like the guy Richardson or Richard Henderson follows him in, widens the road behind him, unbeknownst to Boone, so that they could bring wagons in, some of their own settlers, and they just set up camp. Here's where it gets interesting. They, like, decide they want this big section, this most essential Kentucky, and, like, a little chunk of Tennessee, and they get with the Cherokee, the native indigenous peoples of the area, and they're like, yo, we'll give you, and it it's amounts to, it was, like, however many thousand British pounds, but in today's money, it's $1.5 million. They're like, we'll buy it from you. 
We have $1.5 million, all these goods and whatever that we can give you for it. You in and the vast majority of them, except for one or two dissenting chieftains were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. Um, but it only lasted three years. And the reason it only lasted three years is because it made its way back to the Continental Congress. This is 1775, y'all. We're, we're literally not even quite independent yet when they found it. Then we got 1776 when it does all happen. And it gets back finally to the Continental Congress in 1778. And Continental Congress is like, yo, Danny, Dick, go sit in the corner. You can't buy, you can't legitimately buy land from people we've already stolen it from. Go sit down. And so it was invalidated. And then the federal government was just like, no, it's ours instead. Cause we already took it. Like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? That's probably what they did is went off mic over there behind the podium. Like, what are, what are these guys thinking? They're giving money to people for stuff. Like you just take it. You just steal indigenous people's land. Come on. Come on, fam. Anyway, we were that close, y'all. We we're that close. You know, things go just a little bit different way. We've got 51 states of America, and one of them's Transylvania. That would be pretty cool. Anyway, Fort Boonesboro still exists. I did not get to go down there to it, but I plan to. But that's where this whole trip went wonky, and it became miserable. I told you it was the worst trip I've ever had. This is where it got bad. I... Woke up on like day three or four, about 5.30 in the morning, like normal. And there's a text message. Pack up all your crap. It's like three weeks worth of stuff. Pack it up. Drive to Cincinnati. You're going to run Cincinnati today. Okay. So I pack up all my crap. Drive two hours to Cincinnati. Hand load a truck with 198 stops and close to 300 packages. That sucked. That's a late start. In the wake again of Winter Storm Landon, and I went out and delivered 13 hours in a foot and a half of snow, was soaked nearly to the waist because it was far safer to plow through the snow than it was to try to walk up the driveways where people had been driving up and down and beating it down into ice. And worked there, and I got it out of principle. I did every damn one of those stops accurately. I delivered that day, and I got done. I was like, yo, where am I staying at tonight? And they're like, oh, drive to Columbus. I'm sorry, what? Columbus is another two hours. So I go, get in my vehicle, change clothes in my vehicle, in the terminal parking lot, bottoms anyway, into something dry, socks and shoes. I'm freezing to death. I'm miserable. Thinking about just coming home. And I drive on to Columbus. And I go get put up in this weird B&B situation in Columbus. And suddenly... I'm running Columbus the very next day. I had this weird out-of-body experience the next morning driving into the terminal in Columbus, or driving out, actually, in the truck loaded down with packages. I'm driving out of the terminal. I had, like, this weird out-of-body experience where it's like, have y'all ever had one of those where it's just so, you're, like, clarion clear. Like, you're just looking at yourself going, is this really my life? Am I really doing this right now? 48 hours ago, I was a whole state away, four hours from here, doing a whole different job where I expected to stay for three weeks. And since yesterday, I'm in, I've now been in two other cities to deliver packages. It's like, I think there was so much exhaustion involved and so much psychotic change involved in that little time frame 
then I just had this weird moment where it was almost like I was cognizant of everything that was happening. I was like, is this really your life, Justin? This is insanity. But anyway, this trip sucked for that reason. Number one, getting yanked around by your whatever, you know, it was terrible. And sleeping in, you know, actually, I actually got a room there. I've been sleeping on couches in some of these stinking situations. We actually got rooms out there. It's been crazy. Um, last few months have been crazy with my job, like very undesirable. But we get out there and I'm running and okay, the routes are horrible. Like we took over this industrial situation. It was bad. It's just bad. It's all bad. But this comes back to and where we will tie this up for the night is this last little story um, or handful of stories about being in Columbus, about when life hands you lemons. This last week and a half of work that I was on was miserable and I hated it. I was in a horrible place about the whole deal, but I got to experience essentially the Rust Belt, which is something that maybe you wouldn't find that interesting or cool. I did. I love history. I love American history, specifically like industrial revolution style history. Like Pittsburgh is literally a stone's throw. It's like an hour and 45, two hour drive to the west from Columbus, something like that. Maybe it's closer to three, but it's basically Fort Smith, the Little Rock, something we do all the time here. It's right over there. Like you're in an industrialized city from a time that the country was growing and becoming something. And I'm not only there, I'm delivering the damn factories. I'm delivering to these places. I'm getting to go up into the bowels of the beast, into the underbelly and see these places firsthand and see the commercial districts. I'm going home every night to, weirdly enough, the Ohio State University. We were on campus in some kind of housing campus housing situation in this weird like loft style thing that it got rented out Airbnb like and it was kind of cool y'all I'm looking across like I said earlier I used to be way into college football not an Ohio State fan but if you're into college football you respect Ohio State you just do because they have this blue blood program and this history and I'm literally can walk out the front door go just a few steps over and look at Lane Stadium less than a half a mile from me, one of the largest stadiums in college football. There are college kids every morning walking down the sidewalk, looking like Eskimos. It was like 12 degrees the whole time we were there. It was packed in ice and snow from winter storm landing or whatever it was named. Like this is the quintessential upper Midwest experience. And for me, Though some of you guys might think, oh, that's so miserable. Well, to me, that's part of the beauty of it was the misery of it. It's like, this is what these people deal with in the winter. This is what a dirty, gritty, grimy, industrial type of city is. And Columbus itself being a huge, huge American institution university, I got to experience like two really cool things. An industrialized type of city in the dead of winter, in the nat- the times that you're going to see it on TV and TV shows and documentaries and whatever, movies, whatever you're watching, what you're going to see is these dirty, grimy cities in the snow and there's snow on the ground and there's ice everywhere. And I was living it like out there working in the dirty, grimy, cold, freezing, soaking wet mess. And it was miserable, but there was something really cool about it. Cause it's like, I'm experiencing this just like they are. I know what this is now. I've seen it on TV. I've always thought that was kind of cool and interesting. And now I'm living it. I'm living it. And I know it firsthand. And there was a beauty in that to me. On top of that, the Ohio State, you know, portion of it is like, I went outside that night. I asked a bunch of people, what's, what's Columbus known for? Pizza, apparently. I Google 
a block away, right there in the middle of campus, Tommy's Pizza on campus. I just walked down there after work and had pizza, y'all. Like, and it was great pizza. And there are college kids in there. There's grownups. There was actually a Ohio State basketball game that night. That place was packed. And I sat there and listened to them talk about sports and all their things. Had an incredible pizza. You can go see the damn thing on my Instagram. It's just like two pictures back now. It was a great it was a great experience in so many ways. And that's when it dawned on me, this whole concept that I started way back at the beginning of this episode was when life hands you limits, this is where it dawned on me. It's like, this trip sucks. This is miserable, miserable, miserable. As far as work goes, I hate everything about this right now. But you're like actually living out one of those things that maybe not the most glamorous one or most comfortable one or most beautiful one, like say a Florida or a San Francisco. But one nonetheless that you're fascinated by and find absolutely interesting. And now you know what it's like. You've now lived it firsthand. And I thought that was an amazing thing. And that was me noticing and what kept me going every day is I'm getting to kind of do something that I will remember fondly without a doubt in my old age and not that many years down the road. I'll probably remember it fondly. This was actually pretty cool in multiple ways. And I was just taking advantage of the tiny windows of opportunity that existed and the things I was actually doing where I was that in and of themselves were a part of the experience and seeing that there's a little bit of a silver lining to this horrible trip. And I will end on this last story, which, God, this has gotten so long, y'all. This is an hour and a half episode. We'll see if anyone even listens to it. Anyway, this last story, I think, is what really set me off with this whole thought process because most of you, like a lot of you outdoors folks, you care not for sports at all. I used to a whole lot five years ago, four years ago with my divorce. I had a whole reprioritization of things in my life and sports became not important anymore. Just what happened. But I still know it. I still remember it. I still remember how much fun it could be. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams were vying for the Super Bowl while I was there. Y'all, I was just in Cincinnati two hours south, day before, right? Um, It's a beautiful city, by the way. Cincinnati's beautiful, but I only got to see it in passing and deliver a bunch of packages. I didn't really get to check it out, but it's a gorgeous city. God. Um, Columbus is pretty dirty. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be in the heart of Ohio in a state with a team that hasn't seen a Super Bowl in God knows when. They were hyped. It was everywhere. Everyone was hyped about being in the Super Bowl. And I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for one of those cultural kinds of experiences that I value so highly personally, that I personally love to be a part of, to experience, to see. It's like, I'm going to find a sports bar in this city. And when I get off work, I'm going to go sit and I'm going to watch the Cincinnati Bengals with a whole bunch of Cincinnati fans in a sports ball bar playing the Super Bowl. And let me tell you something. Even though the Bengals didn't win and that was a big letdown, they had got they actually had it probably until the last three or four minutes and it slipped away. The Rams just ground them down. But it was a awesome experience. It was absolutely amazing to be in there with those fans and not have a vest in it, not have any vested interest in it. Like I'm not a Bengals fan. I was that night. I absolutely was, but I didn't care who won or lost. I was there for the experience and the experience was awesome because all the people were there for one thing. Everybody was buddies that night. There were no divisions in that room by race, color, ethnicity, religion, none of that. Everyone there was a Bengals fan and they were having a great time, except for that one dude who was being a total tool who was there in a Rams jersey. There's always that guy. But this this 
oh man, I was just sitting there and I was like, I'm literally, I felt like I was in Cheers, y'all. Now I know Cheers was in Boston, but what's going on in Cheers? You got all these people, they're meeting in the same place every night. They talk about their days. Cheers was a great show. A lot of you younger guys, I I hope that some of y'all have seen it. Cheers was awesome. But I had this moment where I realized I was like in a perfect situation to be Cliff Clavin. Any of y'all who remember the show, he was the mail carrier. Well, I'm the big purple guy, right? I'm still not using the name until I'm out of that joint. But I'm in, I'm literally went straight from work and I looked a lot like Cliff Clavin. I'm in my freaking delivery uniform from head to toe. I've got gloves with the fingers cut out because I'm in the upper Midwest and it's cold as hell, but I still need to use my finger. I looked the part. I was Cliff Clavin in that moment, sitting at the bar with a bunch of Cincinnati fans in cheers. He was sitting there with a bunch of Boston fans. It was always about the Red Sox baseball. I was like, this is like, and it's a gritty town. It's a, a working class town. It's a blue collar town, just like Boston and the guys in the cheers, the bar at cheers were portrayed. And I was just sitting there going, I am Cliff Clavin. I am in cheers. This is crazy. Cause all these people are losing their mind over the game. And I was thinking, you know, I wish that I could do a better Cliff Clavin impression because I would look at the bartender across the bar and I'd be like, oh, you know, there, Sammy Bengal tigers and North American bighorn sheep would never actually meet in the wild because Bengals live on the Eurasian continent, most specifically in India and bighorn sheep are exclusive to North America. However, there is the Himalayan tar, which is a close ungulate relative to the bighorn sheep, and they live in the same region as Bengal tigers and could meet in the wild on the field of battle. It just felt like a Cliff Clavin moment, but I don't have a good Cliff Clavin imitation, unfortunately. And I looked at the bartender across from me who was like probably a 22-year-old college girl. Probably wouldn't have had a clue what the hell I was talking about and that would have just been creepy so I decided not to do that but regardless of all that it was just a cool moment for me like just kind of taking in this giant experience of the Super Bowl going down and it was just y'all it was fun it was a fun experience even though that trip was absolutely miserable and it made me hate my freaking life for a minute I got to experience something really cool a dirty gritty blue collar working class environment in an upper Midwest city where it was cold. It was nasty. It was snowy. It was wet. It was hard work. It was dirty and grimy. And it just, I don't know. It was a new experience for me. And for me, even when new experiences might be uncomfortable ones or sometimes even miserable ones, if it's an entirely new experience, there's something beautiful about that to me. And I made some good friends up there in Cincinnati. Matter of fact, There was one guy who was super invested in that game and I bought him a couple of beers. I don't even drink anymore, but my ticket got a lot bigger because I bought him a couple of beers because after that game ended, I felt genuinely horrible for this guy and he was a complete stranger to me. Like, I think that the human connections are the things that matter in this world and the experiencing everything we can to better understand each other. I think that's huge. I just think that's huge and I love it. So when life hands you lemons, you know, Maybe look around because there might be a way. There might be an ocean nearby to chunk them in. And if there's not an ocean, you know, I mean, second best, it's not. Glass of lemonade doesn't hurt. So something to consider, something to think about. And we got more than enough content for an hour long episode tonight. I think we ran on an hour and a half. 
Hope you guys hung around with me to the end. If you did, I sincerely appreciate it. Um, if you enjoy this show, please like, subscribe, review it, um, share it, share it. If you got Facebook groups and you think, dude, my, my people in this kayaking group, this hiking group, this climbing group, they would probably dig this guy. You know, share it. Word of mouth is how we grow. I don't have money to invest in this. Like, I don't have advertising. This is all word of mouth growth. So, likes, subscriptions, those things help to boost us up. God, the reviews are huge if you would review it. Beyond that, y'all, go to waywardstories.com. You can check out everything we do over there on a now, yet again, functioning website. And other than that, y'all, I don't, I don't really have a lot more tonight, and I've ran on for too long. Again, sincerely appreciate you. Hope to see you guys back here in two weeks when we will have some fresh stories for you. And until then, you guys be good to each other.